Have you all heard what Bob Ruff is up to in 2021? And if you don't know who he is, you absolutely should because he's one of my good friends and he's the host of the hit true crime podcast, Truth and Justice. And Bob has just launched a new show that I am obsessed with. In fact, I was a guest on his new show. It's a great concept. You need to check it out. It's called True Crime Binge. You know, this is like where celebrities interview celebrities. Well, this is a true crime celebrity interviewing other true crime podcasters. It's a great way to get to know the hosts that you already love and discover new shows that you might be unaware of. Bob has a way of getting his guests to open up. For example, did you know that Payne Lindsay was in a boy band before creating Up and Vanished? Learn about these podcast hosts' personal lives, their production, and there's always a discussion about a case of the week. Bob has already released over 50 great episodes with fantastic guests, including myself. So if you want to know more about me, go check out my episode of True Crime Binge and listen to them all. It's really fabulous. I love Bob. Download and subscribe to True Crime Binge today, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Check it out and you might just find your next True Crime Binge. Hey y'all, I know you're used to explicit language in this podcast, but I wanted to give a fair heads up that this episode has more than usual. The tape you're going to hear in this episode is us processing in real time what is going on. And a lot of it is shocking and frustrating. So you hear our real time emotions and a lot of that could be offensive language. So just a fair warning. And another warning, I've been sick for about a month and it's very difficult for me to talk. So please bear with me if I sound congested. Previously on Murder in Alliance. Is there any version of the story that is he's sticking to? <laughs> That's a tough one to answer. Um, My boyfriend at the time, we saw him there that night. We didn't know it was that night at the time. If David did this and... and you know, you didn't and you're protecting him or whatever, then we need to know that. What did you think? Is he this like bumbling idiot that, you know, it seems like he's been portrayed as? How confident are you that Joe had made mention that his friend David wanted his wife killed before it happened? Oh, yeah. This is Murder and Alliance an active investigation into who killed Yvonne Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. John Harden and Danny Waxler, the private investigators weighing whether to take this case, had a head-spinning amount of information to process after meeting with Joe Wilkes, the man who testified he'd been hired to kill Yvonne Lane in 1999. So to bring me up to speed on this four-hour prison interview that I couldn't attend, they weren't even sure where to begin. So first, they got the smaller details out of the way, their overall impressions of Joe and what he said about his friend David Thorne, who in the past, he said hired him to kill Yvonne. And then we got to what happened, at least what Joe says happened this time. Joe told them that March 31st, between 3 and 5 p.m., one of the Enochs dropped him off at the mall and he walked to Yvonne's, not to kill her, 
but to proposition her for sex. Now, we had heard this before. Joe has said he did this. However, he said when he got there, she was already dead. But that's not what he said this time. This time, he said that when he arrived, he showed her a $100 bill and told her he had a room at the Comfort Inn. He said Yvonne said she'd come by later, and so he left. He walked back to the mall, and that's when he saw Rose and Chris, presumably Jill, although he doesn't remember Jill. And then, Joe says the next thing he remembers, he was in the shower at the Enox the next morning, April 1st. He said he has no idea what happened after he saw Rose and Chris. As in, Joe blacked out. There is a chunk of memory flat out missing from his brain. He said he has no idea what happened the entirety of the night that a woman he'd just propositioned for sex was murdered. Do you believe him that he can't remember or do you think he's lying? You know what? I think he really doesn't know. I think he really doesn't remember. Now, has he suppressed that? Subconsciously or consciously? Quite possibly. And this whole thing was incredible to me. Could it be the reason Joe has told so many different stories is because he just can't remember? Maybe his stories were all over the place because he thought no one would believe him if he said he had amnesia for 14 hours. So he filled in the blanks with whatever theory seemed to best fit to him at that moment. And sure, it would be so easy to just brush off Joe as he's lying, that he knows what happened that night, but he just doesn't want to admit it. I, of course, wouldn't discount that. But I also don't want to knee-jerk dismiss what he's saying as a lie, because I know that trauma blackouts are a real thing. People suppress painful memories as a survival technique. People can even make up memories. For example, Charles Erickson. Erickson confessed to a murder that he truly believed he committed, a belief he held on to even after his own co-defendant was exonerated in the case. Yet now, 20 years after the murder of a journalist, he's adamant that his confession was an effort to fill in the missing gaps of a drunken blackout. This stuff happens. It sounds crazy, but it's not unheard of. The brain is a funny thing, especially when it comes to handling trauma. So maybe the story of Joe going back over there and seeing her dead does have some truth to it. Maybe he saw her dead body and completely blocked it out. Was there this... I have someone coming over, I'll meet you later? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that person could have killed her? Could have. Who was that person? Well, he, well, he even said, if, if I knew that, I wouldn't still be sitting here right now. So she, according to him, he went there. Proposition. Proposition, she said, okay, I will meet you at the hotel. I got someone coming over now. And he goes back to the hotel and sees Roger Chris and that's it. Voice, I've got a date coming over. It was basically, okay, I'll be over there later. Okay, so she didn't say that. Right, but then at some point, 
we did reference his statement to Pullman that he said that to Pullman. He's talking about Dwayne Pullman, the investigative reporter you've heard from in previous episodes. I don't think he specifically remembered saying that to Pullman, but that's how we got to who could that have been. He said, if I knew that, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Part of me feels like he would have been screaming this from the rooftops for a long time if that was really the case. There was a, I saw her at five o'clock at her fucking house. Someone was coming over. She made me leave because someone was coming over. To softly introduce this to a newspaper reporter and to us, you would think, if I'm that guy, smart as I am, I'd be like, listen, I know you think I did this. Motherfucker, she told me to leave because somebody was coming to her fucking house. You find who came to our fucking house, there's your killer. But did he seem frustrated or did it seem like a convenient lapse in... No. Oh, he's frustrated by... It didn't seem like it was. he was using it to his convenience. Right. I really think he struggles to find what's true and what's not. And it's a lot because of memories. You know, Joe let us know. He, he The trauma he, he has endured pre-prison life and post-prison life does affect his recollection. They said they felt Joe was trying desperately to help them figure out what had happened that night because they said he seemed to realize that they weren't just wanting David to get a fair shot. They wanted Joe to get one too. And Joe never felt like he stood a chance after he was brought in for questioning. Y'all, Daily Harvest is back, and I am so happy they're one of my sponsors because I am obsessed with Daily Harvest because my freezer is always stocked with delicious options that are ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. Seriously, it takes minutes to prepare. Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or anything artificial. My personal Daily Harvest fall favorite is the Harvest Bowls. I think you guys have heard me talk about this last season, but the broccoli and cheese Harvest Bowl is the perfect snack. When I'm busy and I don't have time to cook something, I just throw it in a pot and it's ready in five minutes. You can even add your own touch to it. I sprinkle a little lemon on and maybe some nutritional yeast and I have a perfect lunch. And it all just stays in your freezer so it's ready when you are. And Daily Harvest Mission aligns with mine too. They're about preserving and protecting the earth from recyclable and compostable packaging to investing in organic farming practices and reducing food waste. Seriously, if you have not checked out Daily Harvest yet, you must must do it. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter code Maggie to get $25 off your first box. You get so much food. There's no reason not to try this. Code Maggie for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Dailyharvest.com. Seriously, guys, just try it. Here's my question. Did he think it was weird the next morning that he doesn't remember anything? Or well, he, 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 yes, he thinks it's weird. I mean, and he even said, he said, I don't, I'm not trying to get too far out there, but I almost wonder if somebody drugged me and I didn't yeah. know. 
don't know what was around to drug me. But does he? But I'm, I felt like he really wanted to genuinely give us his best. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. His, and a lot of that was he wanted to oppress us because he wants us to fight for him. The problem is we can't pull him off. He was in that house with her. That's, at least that's where he is today. Yeah, I mean, he was adamant today that he was in that house with her. The day of. It was his money that bought the hotel room. It wasn't David's. He had an extra $100 bill in his pocket. He was going to pay her for the sex. Yeah. One thing that I cannot get past is he, knowing that, that we are likely his last, and we, we presented it to him. We are your best shot at ever getting out. Yeah. I mean, he, he essentially said... I know. I know, and... Pretty much saying, my life is in your hands, you know? Right. We have to have the truth. Yeah, yeah. Can, how sure are you you were in Yvonne's house tonight? She was 100% sure. I was in the house. Proposition. Invited her back to the... That's just... Until we find the murderer... It's like a goddamn game of Clue. Yeah. Until we find them, it's insurmountable. Right? Yeah. So if this is true that Joe was at the house, that does nothing to help him. Or David. And of course, prosecutors would use this to say, aha, see, now he even admits to being at the scene of the crime. And then think of the forensic testing that David so desperately wants. The original thinking was that if David could get Joe to fight for that testing and the results cleared Joe, it would obviously clear David. But if Joe was at Yvonne's house that night, maybe he did leave DNA somewhere in the house. Although Joe didn't seem too worried about that. Does he want evidence tested? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is. He. We mentioned the advances in DNA testing since the last, you know, in the last couple decades, we you know, reiterated that there was a fingerprint on, on a longer knife uh, that came from her kitchen, from Yvonne's kitchen. And we Which know was already tested against him. It was already tested against him, but we talked about maybe some future, some technological advances in even fingerprint technology since then. And he is not worried about anything being tested. I mean, he told, he said, test it all, let's go. And maybe Joe didn't do it like he said. And maybe the testing would implicate someone else. But you have to admit, it's almost convenient now that he says he was there that night. If the testing came back, pointing at him, he can say, yeah, I already told you I was in the house. So by placing himself there, he preemptively explains away results that prove he was there. And if that's the case, he could simply say, well, I've been in the house before. That actually doesn't prove anything. But what if the trauma that triggered the blackout was caused by Joe actually killing Yvonne? And we have to weigh the possibility that Joe did do it. But if he did, how can we be sure that it was at David's request? What are the chances this kind man snaps because Yvonne just doesn't want to have sex with him? I don't know. I don't know what the chances are. You know... I mean, that's one of the possibilities that we have to... Part of me is like, I feel like that's definitely plausible. He, go, go, he goes to the trouble 
get this scrub. His impression is that she's easy. He's finally going to get him some. She doesn't show. When she doesn't show, he sits there and fucking fumes. But here he is in a hotel room by himself, down to his last hundred bucks. But he doesn't seem like a fumer. We've never heard of him getting mad. No, he's gotten yeah. he fist fights. Yeah. Um, so he either goes back down there to confront her about not showing up and kills her or goes back down there to confront her about not showing up and finds a dead body or and he both just could be out in the yeah. hotel room and wakes up in the shower and clean up his house. Remember, we know Joe got in the fist fight with Chris Campbell, but that's a long way off from murder. And we've not found anything else about Joe to confirm he may be a violent person. So is the only reason he would have killed Yvonne because David told him to? The blackout is so confusing. Maybe he really did walk in on her dead and blacked it out. Either intentionally pocketed and will never let it out, or subconsciously it is just so buried. He's not going to go there. He's not going to retrieve it. There's no desire to. I think maybe in his mind, he's afraid that maybe he has to be wondering, did I kill her? And while we're processing, there was something strange that stuck out to John and Danny in the four hours they were with Joe. He could not hide his pain about Vinny, and that has stuck with me from the minute he said Because I could not... What were the words? I mean, we can't go verbatim now, but it was... It was I felt the, so bad. Yeah, that Vinny was odd, different, whatever, and he just really felt for him because of that. It's just that that was the kid that was out. That was the kid that was dressed. Vinny, the four-year-old, was the one kid that night that was out and about in the house who could have seen the killer and his mother's dead body. This is the kid that Joe has been to that house once. Joe has been around Brandon two or three times. That's David's son. So it wasn't like he had a relationship with Vinny like the Camerons did. Right? Then the Camerons parents. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like he had that connection with Vinny like other adults did. And that's what was so puzzling to me was I'm like, he got choked up talking about Vinny. And I'm like, I thought he'd only been around Vinny once before. I thought it was you know, two, three, four times, whatever. But I, I hear you on that. And I, that's a real possibility that he's just so guilty about Vinny being the one running around in the house. But I also do think it's possible that he just had a soft spot because Vinny was the different one. And, and uh, so we don't know. Now remember, someone had dressed Vinny and taken care of him. It's one of the oddities in this case that we may just never know. What type of person walks into a woman's house, violently kills her while her children are home, but then takes time to dress a special needs child wandering about the house? Maybe the type of person who really loved kids and felt bad about what he'd wanted done to their mother, especially in light of his own abusive childhood. To try to make sense of all this, We carefully laid out the timeline that Joe gave John and Danny, and we pretty quickly realized it was bullshit. 
There was no way Joe was dropped off at the mall that early between 3 to 5. We know Joe was at the Enoch's at 5 p.m. with David and the Lion Cub and Brent Enoch, took him to do a job, and dropped him off at the mall at 8 p.m. Joe, David, and the Enoch's all agree that's where everyone was at 5 p.m. This was also testified to at trial. So why is Joe now saying he was dropped off between 3 and 5 p.m. when everything has always pointed to the drop-off being at 8 p.m.? Is his memory this unreliable two decades later? Or is he lying? Do we have next steps right now? How are you feeling? What are you thinking? Well, that's, that's, it's a lot. I mean, these, if it was, if it was easy, we would all fly in with our camera crew and do a three-day investigation and talk to four people. We talk to eight people a day and I work till midnight or one o'clock and then we have to decompress and revisit all the bits of information and say, how does this puzzle fit together? And that's the challenge on how we proceed is because there are things that Joe just does not remember. As bad as he wants to, he, he goes to bed every night with the full recognition that Yvonne Lane, is her death is the reason that he's sleeping in that bunk. And in the morning, each morning when he wakes up, he has still full recognition that Yvonne Lane, her murder is the reason He's waking up in that Yeah, body. even if he did not do it, right? Her death is what led to him being in there. So dreams, visions, the hopes, the reliving old memories, reminiscing, whatever it may be, the autopsy photos, the trial, the civil trial, the reporters and investigators, the advocates for David, everything that he's experienced it's very hard for him to remember what's real and what's not. I can't imagine yeah. that. He has been bombarded with information in the years since and theories and, you know, all kinds of things that have been communicated to him strongly. And he, he just admits I, I there are just times where I don't know if that's what somebody told me mm-hmm. or if that's what happened. In the car, we talked about all this. We were confused, sometimes emotional. Our thoughts were all over the place. There was so much to contemplate. It's not like peeling an onion. It's not just about removing layers. We don't even know which of these layers are real and which are complete lies. And if they're lies, we don't know why. This was more like trying to build a house on quicksand. We just couldn't figure out our footing to even start the foundation. So let's just say Joe is making up the blackout so he doesn't have to answer any questions about what happened that night. Maybe it's a Hail Mary pass and he's simply hoping that DNA happens to show someone else. And if it doesn't, he can always say, well, I told you I was there that night and was confused on times. Or maybe Joe and David did commit this murder together after all. 14-hour amnesia would be pretty convenient for him. And then John finally says it. I mean, if I'm sitting here right now, I think that Joe had... You know, I think he 
it's tough, just, it's tough just to get the words out, isn't it? Just to say what we know to be true or what we believe is very plausible. How about that? I yeah. Say true. What the fuck is true anymore? I think that's right. After processing in the car, John landed on what he thinks is the truth that Joe was involved. And I see why he thinks that. But even if Joe was involved, I wonder whether someone else could have been there too. She definitely had enough traffic at that place for it. This to have been a house where that kind of event may have happened. That's right. But God dang, the totality of yeah. right over of But I wonder Sam. where there's a convenience store. She had stop earlier. Sam. Sam's statement. Oh. Kristen Rose's statement. Chris's, I mean, Joe himself. We turn left. Statement. Turn left. Turn left. I mean, we, we all agree that this is a violent scene. And, I, and, and like, even in a blackout, I don't know if Joe had that rage. I have no idea. I, I mean, mean, that's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I would love an expert to tell me if they've ever seen that. Yeah. Like, rage like that come out in a blackout. Yeah. <laughs> Good boy. I mean, what's the old saying? I mean, this is a clinical blackout, but I'm seeing red. You're so damn mad that you can't even you just fucking see red, you know? Okay, so now let's say the jury got it right all along. Let's say Joe was involved. Joe was always a loose cannon, and even David said there's always a possibility Joe was involved. But that doesn't mean David was. Do you believe him when he says David's not involved? That's tough. That's tough. You know, I mean, there's, there's, listen, there's a lot of scenarios that are possible right now. Do I... Yes, I believe him, but there's still some things that, some questions that need to be answered. Bring up what you brought up earlier when we were talking about it. One of us heard. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, Joe understands or believes um, that in order for one of them to get out, they both need to get out. Um, his belief is that they are forevermore completely intertwined. Both of them get out or both of them don't. He feels like making David look good and him look bad does nothing for David. Making him look good to make David look bad does nothing for either one of them. He, he is he, His view truly is, right or wrong, his view truly is what happens to me will happen to David or vice versa. That's pretty much how, yeah. how you put it. Yeah. Joe believing that he and David are joined is real motivation for him to protect David if David did hire him to do this. Yes. I fully agree. You know, I go back to, and, and that's just a scenario that we have to consider at this point, or I do anyway. I still, looking back at Sam, found her to be pretty damn credible last night. The holidays are coming up, and if y'all are looking for a gift for a special someone, check out Ana Luisa. Ana Luisa is a carbon neutral jewelry brand. 
They create fine jewelry starting with recycled materials whenever possible. This is truly amazing. They have exceptional quality and it's all sustainable. So if you need a gift for someone, you can get 10% off if you go to A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A dot com slash alliance and use code alliance at checkout. I was with my mom the other day and she was wearing this super sleek, beautiful gold bracelet that I got for her. The craftsmanship is amazing and it really just stood out. I was like, oh my gosh, mom, is that the bracelet I got for you? It looked amazing on her. And not only did it look good, but it made me feel good to know that it was created with the earth in mind. And I also know that's something that my mom loves. So again, you could get 10% off at checkout if you go to A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A dot com slash alliance to treat yourself or that special someone and use code alliance at checkout. Ana Luisa's jewelry is timeless and affordable, starting at just $39. I get comments all the time on my Ana Luisa jewelry, and I love telling people that it's affordable and sustainable. Just go to analuisa.com slash alliance to get 10% off all products using code alliance. It was just all so much to take in going into this investigation, thinking one thing and having the information start to lay out something different. If Joe was involved, it really raises the question, was David too? It makes the possibility much greater. Then the guys turned the table and asked me where my head was at. It's like, I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like I got like really wrapped <coughs> up. I feel like I got emotional. I don't know. I'd feel really um, confused. This is emotional work. You're dealing with people's lives. That's I know. Normal. I feel really confused. That's normal. I don't want, I have no regrets. I do. You guys have spent so much time. This has been a great journey for us. And it's not over. That's the thing is that I'm not even there. The towel is still in in the trainer's bench. We're not throwing it in. Yeah. We have work to do. Everybody that we have talked to, everything that we have learned, everything that that has every direction that we've been pointed in, for the most part has shown this is a worthy case to investigate. Yeah. yeah. There was enough enough damage done in this investigation to warrant us being here. The commitment we all made to this. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel a little stupid right now. No, 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 no. Why no, would you no. feel stupid? It's a worthy case to investigate. So I have no regrets. But worthy cases sometimes don't pan out to be an innocence case. Yeah, yeah. I just think about Sue. I don't want to have to say to her at the end, I can't do this. I know, Maggie, that... The whole thought of all that makes me really sad, too. I don't want to say that to her. We're not even there. We ain't talking to Sue yet. We're not there. Look. We're fighters, all of us. Right or win or lose, right or wrong. We're fighting through this to get to the answers. But if I'm being honest, I wasn't ready to deal with every possible answer, especially not this one. I'm just like, what if David did this? It's a fair question, Maggie. 
I don't think he did. Right. But now I'm really like, what if he fucking did? And I just invested all of this. Yeah, it's just like, it's my credibility. And I think I just went really hard believing them. I mean, my heart, my desire, my, my gut says he didn't. But there are some real issues with this. Yeah, I'm just trying to reckon with that right now. I know, Maggie. I know. Believe me, I know. If it turns out, worst case scenario, we were wrong and David did have a role in this in any way, we at least can go to bed and say, we gave it everything we had more than any other motherfuckers, anyone else. We know at the end, we gave it the best fight, the best fight he could have had. I, I haven't given up on David or Joe. We have to keep trudging on. Body blows come in every true investigation, right? Especially 22-year-old murder investigations. Yeah, yeah. This is, you know, this is a this is a knockdown with a three count, for sure. We've got seven to go. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go? I mean, what are we, what are we even doing? It's four o'clock, what are we doing? We decided to pack it in for the day. We had planned to keep working after the prison interview, but afterwards, we were all too drained and confused. We weren't going to hunt down Amy again, or try the Enox, or Charlie Tool. It was time to take a break, to hit the hotel bar and clear our heads. And of course, if you know me, I'm not much of a head clearer in a situation like this. And we sat at the bar, pouring through documents, and something we found was jarring, to say the least. When I got the case file from Sue, there was a folder of transcripts of police interviews. And so far, every interview I had looked for that I knew should be in there was in there. And eventually, when I got the actual taped audio from the DA's office, there were a few audio interviews that didn't have transcripts. And so I never knew that these existed. And one included a woman named Angie. I'm leaving her last name out for privacy. She didn't seem significant. Her name hadn't come up in any of the incident reports. And I don't remember David or Sue ever mentioning her. So she seemed peripheral. And I put off listening to her interview. Until now. We were sitting at the bar this night, and we came across a police report buried in the files. It's unclear if police approached Angie or if Angie approached them. But it turned out Angie had once been one of David's girlfriends. And she said they dated for about five years in the early 90s. They broke up around 95, right before he met Yvonne. And here's what Angie told Detective Bud Sampson about David. Can you describe to me on, on the tape here how he treated you? and some of the instances that happened while you were dating. He was really mean, very aggressive, very abusive. One incident would be we got in a big fight. We were driving down the road in separate vehicles. He got out of his car, pulled a gun on me, shot out all four tires in my car, told me that if I don't stop the fucking car, he's going to blow my head off. So I did stop the car. The neighbors were screaming frantically to call the cops because he was going to kill me. Um, 
Um, another incident would be when we got in another big fight, and he had me down on the bed, strangling me, choking me. I could actually feel myself losing breath, practically passing out. So I kicked him, got him away from me, and then I left. She proceeded to tell numerous other stories of violence. David smashing her face into a steering wheel by her banana clip and then fighting with her dad. The allegations are upsetting, and the full audio is on Patreon. Listening to it at the bar was downright chilling. I mean, everything we'd heard about David up until this made him sound like a choir boy. When's the last time you saw David? This is at least the fourth person, independent of everybody else, saying David wanted custody. Remember, David told me that, no, he was fine with shared custody. He and Yvonne were getting along and even hooking up, and he didn't mind paying child support. But this tape of Angie painted a picture of David that was completely different than what we'd seen so far. This David was a hothead. Someone who, if her accounts are true, could be violent towards women. And a separate friend of David's told John and Danny about incidents of him losing his temper, particularly road rage incidents, brake checking people and getting in altercations on the road. The friend said that once a guy got out of his car and started yelling at David, David grabbed him by the lip and drove off. It's unclear if he actually dragged the guy down the road or if his lips slipped. We also found a police report from 1997 in which David paid a $640 fine for smashing a car windshield during another altercation. Although David said he was not the smasher and he paid the charge because he was a nice guy. But everyone who was there, including Joe Wilkes, said that David was involved in some kind of road rage incident when all this went down. Even Angie recounts a few other incidents. You stated to me prior to this tape that uh, he's had quite a colored past. Um, Can you tell me about the snakes? Yeah, he uh, broke into some guy's house probably about April of 1992 and stole probably 13 snakes from his man off of Griffith Road in Portage County. Um, another time he had, he and one of his friends had gone to Mr. Fun's costume shop to buy masks so that they could break into this woman's house and hold her up at gunpoint, duct tape her mouth and her arms and offer 50 bucks. That's what they stole. How'd you find out about that incident? He was bragging about it. When I opened the, the trunk of the vehicle, I saw the masks in there and asked him what it was We tried to find a police report from this, but we couldn't nail one down with so few details. But this was a lot of damaging descriptions, vivid ones, like the banana clip and the masks. And now we're suddenly adding everything up. And because of the interview with Joe and our questions about whether he was maybe involved after all, we started looking through an entirely different lens at all of this. 
we're seeing a David who's completely different from the David I've known for the past two years. Have you heard about our murder here in Alliance? Yes, I have. And what did you think? My first reaction was, oh my God, I'm glad it wasn't me. And I believe it. I mean, he's definitely capable of it. I've seen it. I'm sure other people have too. And this reminds me of what Yvonne's dad, Sherman, said in court to David after the trial. Quote, we didn't hear from people who knew you to be violent at the time. We only heard from family and friends. And I can't help but wonder if there are other people with stories like these that we've just not heard from. You're under a little duress right now of even giving this statement to me. Is that true? Yeah. Why? Why? Because I'm about seven months pregnant. I don't want nothing to happen to me or my baby. So you fear him even now mm-hmm. when you don't have any type of relationship. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that David did not do this murder himself? I'm surprised he didn't do it himself. And he didn't want to get his hands dirty, so he paid somebody to do it. The next day, we went to Angie's house to ask about her allegations. We couldn't reach her in person, but we did get a phone call while in the car. It was Angie's husband. So he said that the last time she had to revisit this, she had a complete meltdown, and she just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, He said that he did speak with her today, said that everything that she said in that police report did happen and it traumatized her and she stands by everything that she said, so. Once we got to the airport, another call came in to John and Danny. I wasn't able to record it because we had all of our luggage and I wasn't ready to, but it was a man calling on behalf of somebody. This was a strange call. He didn't use names and I have no idea what his connection is to the case. Though I got the impression he was trying to imply that he was legal aid to Amy. David's girlfriend after Yvonne, the one who supposedly didn't like Yvonne and who, according to Samson, had been investigated as a possible accomplice. This man let it be known that the card John and Danny had left in the door was received and she had no interest in speaking or anything to add. Not only that, but he warned to be careful about bringing Amy up in the podcast, which we interpreted as a lawsuit threat. She was not going to help us. We all went to our respective homes, processed for a few weeks, and then decided it was time for John and Danny to finally see David in person. They always said they'd have a stern come to Jesus chat with David. And I wasn't totally clear on what that meant. I assumed they'd be asking the same questions myself and others had asked in the past, and David would just give the same answers. And I wasn't even going to go for that because, again, I just figured it was what I already knew. But now, after all that has transpired, I decided I needed to be there in Ohio with John and Danny to learn as quickly as possible what David had to say about all of these unsettling revelations. We had so many questions. Coming up next time on Murder in Alliance. You know, I think there's a lot of questions that have never been asked of him. Who was he really? And I'm not, I don't want him to try to bullshit us. You know, when you leave an interview and you feel like you've shared more information than the person who's fighting for their life, 
there's a reason behind that. And I said, a point blank, did that happen? No. And then he changed the subject pretty quickly, man. Then it, it started it's turning into feeling sorry for so David. We, I mean, for I said, that's fine. You know, we know memories aren't tape recorders. Just tell us what you do remember. And he left out. He was not going to bring up the fact that he was with Joe at the Enix. Yeah. Hello, is this uh, Mr. T Mr. Tool, Charlie Tool? I don't know who's this. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder in Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance, and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder in Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. 